Welcome to Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I'm delighted to be joined by Uta Larkey, who is the Associate Professor of German Studies and Affiliate Faculty of the Judaic Studies Program at Gocher College in Baltimore. She is also the Director of Gocher College's Study Abroad Program in German Language and Film in Berlin. She has been a fellow of the Holocaust Education Foundation's Institute on the Holocaust and Jewish Civilization at Northwestern University. A former scholar-in-residence at the Hadash Brandeis Institute, she is pursuing her research entitled Shared Memories and Holocaust Survivor Families as part of the HBI project Families, Children, and the Holocaust. With Uta Larkey, we go inside the pages of Life and Loss in the Shadow of the Holocaust, A Jewish Family's Untold Story, co-authored with Rebecca Bowling, published by Cambridge University Press. Welcome, Uta. Thank you so much. Life and Loss in the Shadow of the Holocaust. What a tremendous work. Thank you so much for what you did with this. Thank you. It is a a fascinating tale. It's not your typical biography. And I have to tell you, when I started reading it, it was like this great investigation. But you didn't lose the humanity in the Mm -hmm. telling of the story. If anything, it just just pulls you in. It's like nothing I've ever really quite read before, Uda. It's really quite remarkable. Thank you so much. Suzanne. Her mother has Alzheimer's. Marianne develops Alzheimer's. Yes. Mm-hmm. And having lived a very full life as a doctor and serving so many, and but she gets to this point where she no longer can remember. And then Suzanne finds these uh, letters, which she had no clue that they even existed, and it said all the things her mother never told her or would be able to remember to tell her. And it, right. And that interconnection, I mean, just finding, I can't even imagine what it was like for you when you were holding these precious letters in your hands. Yes, that was a very emotional process. Uh, to, so most of the letters were written by uh, Mariana's uh, mother. Uh, on the book cover, that would be uh, the woman all the way to the left. Uh, that is Mariana's mother. And mm-hmm. uh, her sister, Mariana's aunt, uh, is the woman next to her. So those two uh, women uh, shared a household, those two sisters, and uh, most of their letters of the letters were written to them, were written from them, but also uh, Marianne uh, kept her own copies that she wrote back to Germany and made carbon copies. So that's why it is also very unusual to have the correspondence that uh, was sent to Nazi Germany. Uh, the copied letters that uh, basically survived the war because they were uh, kept here as copies. Now, again, to, just to point out why this book is so remarkable is that it really gives us a sense of the Jewish experience and where Germany really comes together as a country. Mm-hmm. And the Jewish experience within that context and how it would change. Start at the time of kind of Jewish emancipation, so even in the late 1800s, so the two uh, sisters um, built a business together already in 1902 and were quite successful. And then uh, when the Nazis came into power, mm. that changed for them. And, the, and their children all went to university 
in the 20s, but then they could not, in the, in the late 20s and 30s, early 30s, but then they could not work in their professions mm-hmm. because uh, of the Nazi anti-Jewish regulations and legislators. So uh, here we have three very, very gifted um, young people who came from a very loving household and tried to work in the profession that they had studied. One was a dentist, the court was a lawyer, and Mayana was uh, was uh, studying medicine. And neither one of them could work in the that mean, court could work in his profession, but only for Jewish organizations. So to see this upward mobility that would have been possible if the Nazis wouldn't have come to power. So that also is part of the story, um, to have an educated younger younger class in the 20s, younger Jewish class, then that was uh, not able to stay. It was really very telling in that part of the story to realize that the families, uh, how the Jewish existence in Germany with the formation of the German state, as you said, like in the the late 1800s, how some of the family members chose to remain within the Jewish context of a quote-unquote Jewish community, as opposed to the others who would assimilate into the culture. And they didn't really stand out until the rise of the Nazis. Here we have a family, an extended family, that had lived in the same area in Western Germany, um, for a good hundred or three hundred years, so they had lived there for more than three hundred years. So we have the documentation of three hundred years. It might have been longer, and um, they were business owners. They were merchants, and uh, so they left. They lived peacefully uh, amongst the Gentile population, and then after the Nazis came to power. Again, gradually, things got worse and worse for them. One of the reasons why it was so difficult for German Jews to make the decision to leave their country, because it was a very gradual, Mm. even though in hindsight it seems like a very stark and abrupt change, I think when you live with it day by day, it is a gradual process of increasing anti-Jewish legislation. So it it didn't happen all at once. And I think that really was one of the reasons, basically, why this decision was so hard to leave and why uh, many people held out hope and just stayed and was, were just hoping that things would get better. One of the sisters, she married a young Zionist, and they went to Palestine already in 1935. And mm-hmm. that was not uncommon, but it also was not the rule that, that many people already left in 1935. Mm-hmm. I think that whole telling of how they were dispersed in all these different directions, this family that started out of at the descendants of the nine children that that the sisters that Selma and, and Henny were they were raised with, seeing how they had to make the decisions to go here and there again they they never appreciated exactly how horrific it would descend i mean the experience and I think that telling of Kurt's experience and heroic efforts of his fiance right there that yeah. is one of the most dramatic <laughs> i couldn't stop yeah. turning the pages i mean it almost it seems surreal as though it would be something out of a, a novel and yet this 
this is actually happening and what Hannah does to get her guy out of that camp. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I, the first sister, a uh, court sister, Lottie, had, as I just said, uh, emigrated to Palestine with her husband in 1935. Uh, Marianne, uh, the other sister, had managed to get to the U.S. in June 1938. And Court, as uh, the older male and the oldest uh, child of Thema, uh, then decided that uh, he has to support the family, and he stayed behind and worked as a lawyer for a Jewish organization. Then we all heard the story about the Night of the Broken Glass, we know, or November Pogrom, or Kristallnacht, and that caught everybody by surprise. This violence, this utter violence that happened that night from the November 9th to 10th was just unprecedented. And court was caught up in that, and he had heard uh, on the, that there were arrests made, and so he and a friend hid in a garage on the 10th, and they came out on the 11th of November, and sure enough were arrested then. So they were one uh, they were belonged to the group that was arrested fairly late because the arrests already stopped on November 12th. Mm-hmm. But in that time, in those three days, 30,000 Jewish men were arrested and put in concentration camps. Mm. At this point, there were three concentration camps in Germany, and depending on uh, where they were located, they, the Jewish men were incarcerated to any one of them. And court was uh, then brought to Buchenwald, um, near Weimar in Germany, and, and nobody heard from him for a week. Mm-hmm. Nobody had any idea where he was. Of course, people kn- knew the rumors that Jewish males got arrested, but it was not clear where he was. And after uh, one week, prisoners were allowed to send one postcard with a prescribed text. I'm here, I'm healthy, and that's it. Mm -hmm. So then, that is when his mother for the first time found out where he even was. And uh, his girlfriend at the time also was caught up in the violence of that night, and so she had to escape from a from a youth center where she had worked, a Jewish youth center in the town of Essen, that is where the family was located. And she had an extremely dramatic and traumatic ex- escape from that uh, from that center. So at five o'clock in the morning, she heard banging at the door, and she basically barefoot, you know, as she was in her nightgown and barefoot, she fled. And then uh, after she found out where her, and she uh, stayed with friends, and then she, when she found out where court was, then she declared herself his de facto fiancé mm. and went to the Gestapo and said, we have papers to leave for, for court to leave for Argentina. And so at this point, in November 1938, Jews were released from the concentration camps if they could promise that they would leave Germany. But they also had to leave Germany in a, a very short time. So court had made the promise to leave Germany by uh, December 31st, mm-hmm. which was, of course, only a few weeks later. And then as the letter that uh, Hannah had was uh, actually fabricated, mm-hmm. there was no visa for Argentina. 
basketball court, which made it even harder then to scramble to get out because did get out of the concentration camp by producing this letter, but since the letter was forged, he had to find new ways to get out of Germany in a very, very short time. And the German government, Nazi government, made it, made it more and more difficult for Jews to get out of the country. Both they put pressure on the Jews to get out, made it harder, and then asked for more and more money to get out. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the mechanisms they had at the time. The fact that Hannah was bluffing, essentially, mm-hmm. I mean, in, with a Gestapo, with one of the Gestapo officers who were, was notorious in just the mental torture he would right. put them through, her ability to be able to persevere through this, and then as he got out, as Kurt got out, it, it, struggling to get out of the country, eventually uh, Kurt and Hannah would... It, received visas to be able to make it to Palestine. Yes. And they were able to make it there. And just to reestablish for for many, the, the, many of the younger professional Jews in the early 1930s tried to get out and needed to get out so they could practice their professions because they, they were not allowed to. And so that's why many of the children... Uh, there were young adults, essentially, were able to get to the United States, to Argentina, and to some other areas before the the greater persecution occurred. Yes. So just to make that sure, so Mariana's in, in she is in the United States, and again, these letters that are going back and forth and and piecing all this together needed to occur a generation afterwards because they never spoke about mm-hmm, their mm-hmm. experiences. And maybe, Uda, you could help people to understand why this wasn't shared with their, with their children. I think it really was. It was traumatizing. So when uh, you uproot yourself, uh, usually it is very dramatic uh, in a way, but here a forced uh, emigration was even more traumatic. It's, it's hard to understand from nowadays perspective. Uh, what it really what it really meant, but I think a lot of the time also people who went through this kind of trauma just want to go on with their lives mm-hmm. and there is day to day business they built up uh, their uh, professional lives here, and it was very little opportunity i think and desire uh, to to talk about this very painful past and I think uh, to the end of their lives, uh, it was very, very painful for them. And uh, I think Mariana's way was to to deal with the situation was to really keep everything. We have, I mean, the tremendous treasure that we have, what Mariana brought over to the United States in terms of letters, in terms mm-hmm. of certificates, in terms of photographs, in terms of her diaries. So she brought all that with her from Germany to the United States, and then kept it here. And I think was hoping that one time her children will get the full story, and that is what we also ultimately wanted to try with the book, to get the full story of this family with a backdrop of uh, the German-Jewish experience and historical events that did happen. And I think um, Mariana in particular probably had knew this in her heart of hearts, that at one point her children will, fit, will find out the full story. And that's, 
what's so incredibly poignant about this, Uda, is that Mariana would end up losing that memory. And that yeah. the only thing that would remain would be the letters and the photographs that were hidden away that would be found after her death. And then it would lead the entire family, the children, to to gather the collective memory from the 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 parents who lived in Palestine and it would become Israel and and um and other parts of the world to piece this unbelievable mosaic of a family's life it's just that your contribution and your your participation in this I can't even imagine what it must have been like for you yes uh, it really was uh, very emotional I have been teaching Holocaust studies for quite a few years and but every time I uh, I teach my courses I'm always very drawn into the individual biographies and the personal stories. And I think also our students ultimately and our readers will uh, understand the big events of history much better on a personal level. Mm-hmm. And um, then I went to uh, to, Palace, uh, to Israel, sorry, I did go to Israel to interview um, Kurt and Hannah's son and uh, his cousin, and Kurt and Hannah's son is a p- photographer in um, in uh, Tel Aviv, and he made an incredible artwork that you see a piece of on the book cover. And mm-hmm. it was last year uh, that I came to his house again, and I stood in front of this artwork, and I just, the artwork is, frag- is basically fragmented, Letters. So he reproduced the letters uh, and ripped them apart, and then uh, treated them from uh, light to dark, and made about a nine-foot uh, triptych uh, with three parts uh, that moves from light to dark. All his grandmother's letters. Mm. And when I saw this, so that was another layer of a very, very emotional experience to see how he um, transformed the letters for himself. And when I saw the handwriting, of course, his grandmother's handwriting, with which I lived for many years, too, it was just uh, too much to take. And so I thought it would be so wonderful if this were to be on our book cover. And uh, so that is what we ultimately did. So that is a very, very small segment of the entire artwork, uh, which is uh, on the book cover. Huda, I have to tell you, you know, in reading this book, I just want to really point out to everyone, again, Life and Loss and the Holocaust, A Jewish Family's Untold Story. I, I really think there's a big part of you in this, in the to the extent that I know with your background in German language, but also the film um, area, that whole presentation. I mean, there's something about German film that... You feel like you're watching one of those great mosaics. I keep going back to that, but it, there's so much more than just the um, the reading of a biography of a family, or even, and I, not to trivialize anything concerning the Holocaust. I mean, but, but reading and accounting, this one is so much more because it it feels as though you're being brought into that drama and the joys, but also the the lessons that can be learned from this artwork that you've presented in this work. Yeah, Chris, thank you so much. I think that is exactly also what we wanted to convey. And I think 
for me, uh, it really was, um, well, first when we wrote the book, we had to find a narrative voice. And, uh, and a lot of uh, my own emotions went into that, and for Rebecca, of course, too. So, uh, and, and we wanted to tell it as it felt on a day-to-day basis uh, mm-hmm. when you lived as a German Jew uh, in the 30s. How did it feel? And you did not know what was to come. So I think that is uh, kind of the mindset with which we wrote. And uh, we made also interviews with uh, basically with the cousins. Now they all, of course, wrote the, uh, read the book, and uh, they commented on the warmth uh, with which they feel we have uh, represented their family. And so that was a very, very rewarding experience to hear them all really standing behind this and saying, well, that is just, yeah, it's, it really is very, very well done, and it is very uh, sensibly and warmly related. So that is, I think, uh, how, that was the best part. <laughs> After finishing the book, that the family fully, fully embraced it and really appreciated the way we wrote and the, the work and the research we did with it. Well, the, the fragments that were ultimately left, you've brought together and formed this beautiful blanket that of the life. And, and when they talk about warmth, I mean, that's really of this, this family. It could have been lost to the, to the memory of history, but now it's given back for all of us to be able to experience. And it, it's a... Uda, it's just, it's tremendous. It's just a tremendous book. And I, I, I have to bring forward, this, this keeps coming back to me, but a, a lot of times the, the fact that Kurt was able to leave a book involved, it, he was able to get out, which was, we don't normally hear stories about that, but the effects, even of those weeks being in there, were so traumatic that his sister would later chronicle in these letters that, you know, it aged him. Even those few weeks, it aged him. It traumatized him to the point where he never spoke about it. Yes. There was only one occasion on which he had to speak about it in order to get out. He went to the British consul, uh, and he said to the British consul, "Um, this is what I've experienced. And so this British consul gave him one of the last visas to get out. And while the time by itself was not that long that he was in the concentration camps, it was camp, it was three weeks, but still it was so dehumanizing, so traumatizing, that Kurt just could not bring himself to, uh, to talk about it. And also he had a heart condition that he developed uh, right after that, and... He died already in 1969, mm-hmm. so uh, both his sisters died in 2002 and 2003, but he already uh, passed away in 1969, and yes, and it is really his sisters attribute this largely to uh, his experiences in, in Buchenwald, which were absolutely horrific. Mm. Well, again, there's so much here. I mean, there's here for the the person who loves history, the the person who wants to just enter into a, a great drama. There is there's so much here that uh, Uda, I just thank you so much for the all the time and effort in in uh, sharing this with, with everyone. And Chris, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share this on air with everyone. Okay. Any final thoughts? 
Well, there is. We have uh, several uh, websites. If uh, uh, anybody would want to, uh, you know, see the book, uh, see videos with us. So we have uh, three short videos on YouTube. One is the conversation between Rebecca and uh, and Sue, who originally found the letters. One is the conversation between Rebecca and I, and one is the conversation between Gideon and I, uh, who did the artwork for the book, the descendant of the family in Tel Aviv, uh, who did this incredible art piece. So uh, there are uh, YouTube videos. Uh, so when you Google our names uh, on YouTube, or when you go on YouTube, uh, you would find uh, these videos. And then there also is uh, Cambridge University um, Press, uh, website and um, yeah and I just think it is it is a very compelling story as you said from every one angle uh, somebody interested in human interest uh, somebody interested in history somebody interested in the Jewish experience so there is a lot for different people and we also wrote it wrote the book for both a very broad audience but also for an academic audience, so we also have um, footnotes, and we have uh, we also worked in archives, and we have uh, quite a documentation uh, that we used from the archives. So it really is, I think, a well, if I may say so, <laughs> uh, a well-rounded book from diff from different angles that we wrote and different angles that the book can be read. It's really quite wonderful. I, I do have to add to this this final question just kind of popped into my head at towards the end of this that I it what is the from your perspective the Jewish experience in Germany today well today so I know primarily um, I know the city of Berlin and I know a few others and uh, so the Jewish communities in Berlin um, have uh, now look very different so there mm -hmm. are uh, some uh, German Jews there, but I think a lot of the Jewish communities nowadays are Jews from from Russia, from the former Soviet Union, that uh, came to Germany, and uh, so and that there are also again some Jewish schools opened a few years ago. Mm -hmm. um, there are uh, synagogues that are working, but it is. Um, it is not the Jewish life, of course, that it was uh, before the Nazi regime came to power. So um, it is uh, a younger community in a way, and uh, it is also a, it are several communities uh, that are trying to um, find their ways in the 21st century. Mm -hmm. So there is a definitely a vital Jewish life in Berlin, for sure. Um, but it is not, of course, it's not uh, the same as it was. No. Uda, Larky, thank you so much for the time you've given us today. And Chris, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. And all the best. Thank you. With Uda Larky, we've gone inside the pages of Life and Loss in the Shadow of the Holocaust, A Jewish Family's Untold Story. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to cambridge.org, the website for its publisher, Cambridge University Press. 
To hear and download this episode, along with many others, go to www.insidethepages.com. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join me next time for Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. 